All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's holy and inspired word. It contains everything we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's again pray. You have made promise after promise. to have the words of Christ, the words of God, the words of our Lord speak through us. And I pray that you would speak through me, that you would put your words in my mouth and speak through me. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Lindsay and I uh, put together a chair in my office this week and would, would you know it, it didn't have directions <laughs> or uh, marginal directions, I should say. And it is so frustrating to put a chair or any piece of furniture together when you don't have directions, when you don't have rules. And the, Bob, the Bible operates sort of this way. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks in question and answer two, what rule hath, hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Answer, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. <clears throat> is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Why is the Bible so important? Why do we make so much of the Bible? It is because it contains the only rule by which we can glorify God and enjoy him forever. I want to think about this question a little more. But before we do, let me describe the doctrine to you. The scriptures are authoritative, useful, and sufficient to reveal God to us and to produce good works in the, in the believer. I will repeat that. The scriptures are authoritative, 
useful and sufficient to reveal God to us and produce good works in the believer. I want to divide the exposition up into three headings. Scripture's authority, Scripture's utility, and Scripture's sufficiency before I give you a number of applications. Now let's turn to the first point, Scripture's authority. Authority is defined as the power to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. That explains the Scripture's authority quite well. Why does it have power to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience? Because it is the product of God's very mouth. Let's look at this. All Scripture is breathed out by God, verse 16 says. Breathed out by God. Other versions like the New King James and the New American Standard say all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And those are certainly legitimate renditions, but I prefer the ESV interpretation. And in fact, it is the uh, translation of most English Bibles. Paul has to invent a word for this, uh, this adjective, theopneustos. Theos means God, and neustos means breath. Hence, Paul invents the word God-breath or God-breathed. If you ask me about the scripture's authority, I will say because it is breathed out by God himself. And if it is breathed out by God, that means it has full authority to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. And this breathing out of God is directed toward all scripture. I want to take a, a bit of time to dwell upon that all scripture just for a little while and help us make sense of that. If all scripture is breathed out by the very God of scripture, it presupposes that it is true in every word it uses and also the content. This includes the notion of plenary inspiration, the notion that this includes the very words that the Bible speaks. That includes the doctrine of infallibility because God is incapable of making mistakes or being wrong. This includes the doctrine of inerrancy because God can never err or speak untruth. If all of scripture is breathed out by God, it presupposes that the Bible is sanctified or holy because God is holy. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. If all scripture is breathed out by God, it presupposes that scripture is clear. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That's Psalm 19, 8. 
If all scripture is breathed out by God, it presupposes its perfection. The word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That's from Psalm 19:7. The scripture is true, infallible, inerrant, sanctified, clear, and perfect, and a host of other attributes that we can assign about its authority. But this lends well to a question. What constitutes all scripture? Many different answers have been given. You have a Jewish Bible, the Roman Catholic Bible, which purports a belief in the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha, the Quran and Joseph Smith and the Latter-day Saints, all with different so-called Bibles. So just what constitutes sacred scripture? The short answer is the content Uh, The content of sacred scripture is what is contained in the 66 canonical books of the Old and New Testament, the 39 books of the Old and 27 of the New. But longer answers, but long, but a longer answer to that question is what I'm about to give you. I have three sub points in this. One, the content points to salvation in Christ necessarily. The Old Testament and the New Testament, let's begin with the first. The content points to salvation in Christ. Although we can't go through this entirely in one Sunday, however, I want to say this. It all depends on what you believe about Jesus, and whatever doesn't lead you to faith in Jesus cannot be true. Look at verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Whatever doesn't make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ cannot be true. Paul is speaking both of the Old and New Testament canon, well underway. But let's begin with the Old Testament. Jesus pointed to every book in the Old Testament by a direct quotation or allusion or by its divisions as pointing to him. Jesus spoke to his disciples, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He said to his prophets, excuse me, his disciples as well. These words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law, the the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That is exactly the divisions uh, of the Old Testament. The law of Moses the prophets and the Psalms or the writings are the precise divisions of what we have in the Old Testament. Jesus' words fully aligned with the scriptures, teaching divided up into laws, prophets, and Psalms or writings. The 39 books of the Old Testament and its divisions. This excludes the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha 
for many of them were written after the close of the Old Testament canon, beyond the law, prophets, and writings. This is also said about the New Testament. I will give you a number of proof proof texts which grant divine authority to the New Testament. And I will restrict myself to speak about the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. This indicates that he preached not the words of men, but under inspiration, the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.27 says this, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Because Paul believed he was writing under inspiration, he put them, he put them under an oath to have this letter read to all the brothers indiscriminately. And Galatians 1, 11 through 12, for I would have you know, brother, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 27, what I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. With these verses, I think that he is in essence uh, believing himself to, to be writing under inspiration. And I think he himself is writing the very word of God. So what, consti what constitutes the scripture? The 66 books of the Old and New Testament. You can have assurance that what you hold in your hand is the divinely inspired, God-breathed word of God. The next heading is Scripture's utility. The Scriptures are useful. That is, able to be used for practical purposes or profitable is this Verse recounts here. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness. It is profitable and useful. Let's take these each in turn. For teaching, you all know what teaching is. Teaching is that act of imparting knowledge concerning God's revelation in Christ. It is profitable for teaching. Also, it is profitable for reproof. That is defined as an expression or blame or disapproval. One commentator says, warnings based on the word. If you are teaching the wrong doctrine, you are given a word of reproof or of warning. Scripture is profitable for reproof, but also for correction, 
That is, correction leads you in the right path. Its synonyms are alteration, modification, or amendment. Scripture teaches you to take proper amendment or alterations of your life, and it leads you into the truth. Scripture is useful to correct you. And furthermore, Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness, disciplines in order to help you in discipleship. You are disciples, training in righteousness. Righteousness is right according to God's word. It is obedience to God's commands that you are disciplined for. Like a father to his son. Have you had this experience? A father teaches a son. A father, if he is worth his salt, reproves and corrects. But only a father who is a Christian trains for righteousness. Only a father who is a Christian can train you in in and for righteousness. This leads to our third and final point before I list a number of applications. Scripture's sufficiency. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Sufficiency is defined as enough or adequate. That is, it is sufficient to prove, excuse me, it is sufficient to produce good works. And it produces all or every good work. The Westminster Confession says that good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word. And these good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, and stop the mouths of adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. Their ability to do good works is not at all of themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ. In other words, if you aspire to do good works, you cannot do any good works apart from the Scriptures, and then you can only do them by and through the Holy Spirit, working in you to do and to work what He wills. But I have a a few applications for you. And by a few, I mean um, multiple. (laughs) One, the exhortation. Let me exhort you to do nine things. And I, I think this will be quick. Read the Bible reverently. 
Read the Bible reverently. Because you know that the Bible is God's word, the holy inspired, the God spoken word. If that is the case, you ought to read your Bibles with reverence. But furthermore, read the Bible daily. Knowing by whom it was written should make you conscious of reading the Bible daily. Read the Bible prayerfully. In other words, read the Bible on your knees, either your metaphorical knees or literally. Never read your Bibles without going to God in prayer and asking him that you might be equipped to read it profitably. So read the Bible prayerfully. Read the Bible spiritually. By this I mean knowing that you have no power to accomplish any good work except the Holy Spirit accompanies you. You should read the Bible spiritually. I I mean, holy spiritually. Read the Bible Christologically. Jesus said that the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled in him. This means whatever portion of the Bible you read, whether it be Genesis or Song of Solomon or a, a minor prophet, must be interpreted ultimately. Now, I'm not denying that the grammatical uh, the mer- grammatical historic- historical interpretation isn't right. But I'm just saying, ultimately, it's contained in Christ. So read whatever portion of Scripture you have in front of you. Read it Christologically. See, I told you I'd be quick. Read the Bible meditatively. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So read it, meditative. Read it meditatively. Read the Bible as a family. As for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Joshua said that just before he died. And take Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your heart, and they shall be as frontlets between your gates. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Read the Bible as a family, whether you are alone or you have just a husband or you have an earthly family. Read the Bible as a family. And if you are reading the Bible as a family, don't get frustrated. I know I have been frustrated from time to time. I've said to my wife, is it really getting through to them? But keep on doing it with your family. Galatians uh, 6 says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. 
This is certainly an admirable, admirable text. So keep doing it. Read the Bible in corporate worship. In this congregation, we generally have two worship services. If you just come to one service, you will have 52 sermons, approximately, to grow in grace. But we also have another worship service in the evening. If you take, if you take off the fellowship meal, that's roughly 92 worship service that you can grow in grace. Now, let me give you a warning. If you don't read the Bible, you will not grow in grace. Period. The means of grace start with Bible reading, word, prayer, and sacrament. You will not pray unless you read the word of God and see that it tells you to pray. You will not pay any mind to the sacraments if you don't read the word either. So the word, so read the word. If you attend the church services one day a week, that is good. But what happens in the other days of the week? You will be as J.I. Packer, Packer was fond of saying, spiritual pygmies. I don't know if that's acceptable in today's context, but you'll be spiritual pygmies. And I don't want you to be spiritual pygmies. However, let me speak a word of consolation. God did not rescue you from sin through the person and work of Jesus because of your vigorous Bible reading. Let me repeat that. God did not rescue you from sin through the person and work of Jesus Christ because of your Bible reading. So don't get that wrong. But because you are saved completely by grace and not anything you can do, not by works, you will want to read the Bible. Je- Jesus said in John 5:39, you sits You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Pharisees searched the scriptures because they thought that they would have eternal life in the search. But they were clueless. As Jesus said, They were whitewashed tombs with no hearts in their chests. And so they did not come to Jesus to find life. Jesus didn't save you for or because of your Bible reading. But because Jesus saved you, because Jesus has saved you by the Holy Spirit who has put a heart of flesh in you, you will want to read your Bibles to find Jesus again and again and again and again. And if you have been saved, you will want to read it in the spirit of gratitude 
because you know that God has breathed it out for you. And it is only, it is the only way that you will learn how to glorify and enjoy him. And if you read your Bibles and, and excuse me, if you read your Bibles in anticipation, prayerfully, meditatively, and, and even with your family, God will meet you there. The, the triune God will meet you there if you have faith to believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be useful, equipped for every good work. Let us pray. I pray that each one of us will read the Bible more fervently, knowing from whom it has come. You, O Lord, the God of Scripture, the God of the heavens and the earth, but not so that we will be saved, but because you have poured out your favor to us, Surely by grace alone, we will want to please you. In our Bible reading and in the Bible, you reveal yourself to us so that we have instruction or the only rule to glorify you. And by glorifying you, we enjoy you forever. Amen.